بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي we continue with Kitab salah tonight, the fiqh of salah, Rabbuluhul Maram. And last week we, com- we completed the chapter of Khushu'r, right? Al-Hathu ala al-Khushu'i salah We discussed the issue of the importance and how to attain Khushu'r and so forth. The next chapter in the book, Ibn, Imam Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, he brings is Babul Masajid. Babul Masajid. The chapter that deals with the rulings regarding the masajid, the houses of Allah or the mosques um, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So usually the word masjid, masajid is the plural of masjid, right? One masjid, many masajid, understand? Um, And of course what we mean by masjid is a masjid, a mosque. A place of prayer, the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't mean a place of sujood. Because masjid also means a place of sujood in Arabic. Okay, or a place that a person makes salah in Arabic. That's also a meaning of masjid. What we mean here is the general meaning of the word masjid as we all understand it. And that is the mosques, as we say in English, or the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are many rulings regarding the masajid. Many rulings regarding the masajid. Some ulama have written specific books just on these rulings on the masajid. So we go through the ahadith in this chapter and we discuss some of these rulings bi ta'ala. The first hadith is narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha that she said, Amara Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bi bina il masajid fi duar wa antu nadhafu wa tutayyabu. Rawahu Ahmad wa Abu Dawood wa Tirmidhi wa Sahaha Irsalahu. She says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he ordered and instructed with the building of masajid in the residential areas. And that it must be cleaned and perfumed. That the masajid must be cleaned and perfumed. Understand? So firstly, What's meant by cleaned and perfumed? Cleaned, obviously, there must be no najis. There must be no dirt in the masjid. No najasa, no nothing that's filthy or dirty. And as for pure perfuming, Ibn Uthaymin says it could mean two things. It could mean that you perfume the masjid by placing, like nowadays we got bukhur. This is co- common in the Arab lands, bukhur. Where they burn, you know, some some incense with a coal. They light the coal and they put some incense on top of it and it smokes. It, as a, it puts, gives some smoke and a, and a strong scent into the air. Understand? Um, whichever way you do it, no problem. Um, but this is part of perfuming the masjid. This is what Rasulullah instructed us with. The second thing he says it could mean is that you remove the traces of that cleaning. And let's say there was some, something dirty and you cleaned it up and there's some traces there. 
The fact that you remove that traces, this could also be under the, the, the term tatyib, right? Which means to, to, to perfume the masjid. Allah alam, both meanings are, are obviously correct in this case as well. So from the benefits of this hadith, we see how the Prophet sallallahu gave importance to the masjid. Why? So that people can come together in this masjid to perform salah. So that people can come together in the area to one place and make salah. Understand? So that people can come together in the area to one spot, to one place to make salah. Secondly, the building of a masjid is fardun kifaya. To have a masjid is a fard, but it's a fard kifaya. Meaning, if a group or some people in the community fulfill this fard, then that obligation is removed from the, from the rest of the people. But if nobody fulfills that obligation, then the entire community, the entire Muslim community is sinful for this. Understand? So somebody has to take the responsibility on behalf of the community to fulfill this obligation. Right? So it's a, it's a fault kifaya. It has to be done. And, and, and in this, you know, going to build a masjid or contributing to the building of a masjid or anything similar to that, there is a great reward for this. What's the reward? A house in Jannah. The hadith says, Man banallahu masjidan, banallahu lahu baytan fil Jannah. Whomsoever builds a masjid, Allah will build for him a house in Jannah. Allah will build for him a house in, in Jannah. And there are other hadith that add on to this, even if it be something extremely small. Yani even if you gave something small to the masjid, you will get the, that reward in Jannah. Allah will build for you something Better than that in Jannah. And remember, a house in Jannah is not a house like this. It's not a house like the masjid. A house in Jannah is something special, something amazing, something far beyond our, our minds can comprehend. What does the hadith say? In Jannah is that which the eyes have not seen, what the ears have not heard, and that which the, the minds cannot even comprehend, that which has not even crossed the mind. So when it says a house in Jannah, you don't picture a house like this. Or a house like any other house in this dunya. It's a house that your mind cannot even imagine. It's far beyond your imagination. That's how amazing and brilliant this house is. Understand? So this is the reward for building a masjid. Or contributing to the building of a masjid. Whatever amount you can give, you give. And you will have that, that special reward in, in Jannah. Thirdly, Ibn Uthaymin says that... This hadith also says that there should be a masjid in every area. In every area, residential area, there should be a masjid. Right? But this also we have to take into consideration yani, what type of area are we speaking about. I mean, if you look at Cape Town alone, certain areas are much bigger than others. You get, you get an area which is very small, you get an area which is very big. You understand? So, every single area that's a bit difficult, especially in our uh, situation where we are not a big community of Muslims. We are not Muslims, uh, sorry, surrounded by non-Muslims. So, to have a masjid, every area becomes a little bit difficult. 
So at least in every, you know, the distance shouldn't be too far between the masajid. That's the least that we can say. If you can have it in every area, then that's definitely something good. But at least, you know, where the distance are not too far. Um, then what about building a masjid that's very near to another masjid? This can also bring about issues. In the same area, there is now more than one masjid. Huh? So, in this issue, yani, if this is done for no reason, if this is done for no reason, there's a big masjid over there, we're also building a big masjid over the road. Two houses away, three houses away, one road away, two roads away. Same area, literally in walking distance, they build another masjid. Ibn Rahimullah says, if there's no reason for this, yani, let's say the one masjid is on this side, and on that side there's another masjid. But to you, for you to cross the road is a problem because it's a highway. In this case, it's okay. Because we can understand there's a reason here. The people living that side cannot get that side very easily. So in this case, it's okay. We see there's a reason. But there's no reason. They just built a masjid there. Because he wanted to build a masjid and that's the plot of land he found. And he purchased that land. And for that reason, he bought this, he is building a masjid. Or because he wants a family masjid. For whatever other reason. In this case, this is now known as a masjid dirar. Masjid dirar. And the Quran speaks about the masjid that is dirar. In the, in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, there was a masjid dirar that the munafiqeen built. And Allah speaks about this. And Allah says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, You do not pray in there ever. Because initially, you see there were munafiqeen. They were trying to destroy Islam from within. And so they built a masjid. And as Rasulullah sallallahu was on his way to a, on a journey or on a... On a, on a maybe on jihad somewhere and they said to him you know we want you to pray with us in this new masjid that we built and he said on my way back I will pray on his return they now wanted him to come and pray with them and Allah revealed ayah to say that that is a masjid dirar la taqum fihi abada you do not pray in there ever la masjidun ussisa ala taqwa min awwal yawmin ahakku an taquma fihi that masjid which was established upon taqwa from the first day, that has more right over you to pray in it. Yeah, what is the question? Um, masjid dirar, yani, how do I translate masjid dirar? Um, we, were saying, we were speaking about in one area where there is already a masjid and somebody else builds a new masjid for no reason. This can be considered a masjid as dirar. So dirar means something that's actually harmful. Something that brings about harm and not benefit. So in this case, what's going to happen here? You could be splitting the community. In this, play, in this case, what's happening here now? Splitting the community. People, some go there, some go here. And they can become arguments and they can become fights over the two masajid. No, but this new masjid is better because of these reasons. That old masjid is because of this and that. You see the issues that come up? It can become a masjid dirar, a masjid that, that brings about harm. It happens in many places. 
I don't recall. Maybe let long flat out. So at one stage your crowd said it was haram. Right? At one stage everybody said it's haram to make salami. At long flat out. And they close the masjid. No, 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 it means it's not still, it's still in existence. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, masjid. No, masjid on top. The masjid on top. Yeah, there was a huge objection to the masjid because what they said it was a split. Mm. And there was a masjid down the road. Allah alam. You know, I mean. Well, I just said that. What that yes, yes. That no, I'm, not, I'm not objecting to what they say. I'm saying, in this case, those in charge should actually come in and, and give the proper ruling. Like, again, it's difficult in our situation because who's in charge? You know, and there are people who put themselves in charge, but they're not respected by all. Even if they came with the ruling, all the people's going to say, well, who are you in the first place? We don't care what you say. You understand? So it's something very difficult. In a Muslim country, uh, the, you know, the ruler can send his ministers and those people who come with authority. And say, look, this masjid cannot be built because of these proper reasons. That should have happened. That should happen. But Ibn Uthaymin, even in this discussion, he says, a masjid dirar is supposed to be destroyed. The masjid that's dirar is supposed to be destroyed because of the harm that it brings. But who destroys the masjid? Not every any person in the road. It's the proper authorities that have to come and destroy the masjid. You understand? But even here, he says, even if this were to happen, sometimes this even results in a bigger fitna, in a bigger issue. So, at the end of the day, those in charge, those in authority are supposed to make this decision. Right? Um, but we say, no doubt, to build another masjid for no reason in one area is, is problematic. Right? It does bring about problems. And, and this is again speaking in a context where the masjid is upon khair, you know. If the masjid is a place of shirk, and perhaps we can discuss this later when we get there, inshallah, I'll leave it for later. Um, طيب, the next benefit of the hadith is that it is legislated from this hadith to clean the masajid, and this is something well known. Like in the hadith of the Bedouin who came into the masjid and he urinated in the masjid, Rasulullah immediately said, Go and pour water over, over that. And to clean the masjid, this is something, of course, very well known and very clear to all Muslims. Um, and thirdly, the, or another point that he mentions is to tatyibul masajid, which is to perfume the masjid. So to put something nice like bukhur, something bukhur is very appropriate, something you know that makes the whole masjid smell nice. This is something good, inshallah. Here's the mas'ala that I was alluding to. Ibn Uthaymin says, is it permissible to build a masjid near to the masajid of Ahlul Bid'ah? Can you build a masjid near to the masajid of Ahlul Bid'ah? So Ibn Uthaymin says, firstly, it is wajib upon Ahlul Sunnah that they build for themselves masajid, which is just like the masajid of Ahlul Bid'ah. And we're supposed to be, I wouldn't use the word competing, but similar to them in terms of our masajid. You understand? As for being close to them, he says, the only worry he has is fitna. Because it can also become a fitna. Right? That perhaps they might start to fight with each other or so forth. So he says the best, the best is if you can distance yourself from fitna, 
And this is always best. This is something that's best. But if it's not possible, then it is permissible to build a masjid near the masajid of Ahlul Bida'ah. Because of what's happening in the masajid. And worse today is shirkiyat. If there are shirk, is shirk happening in the masajid, then we need to build a masjid in the area so that people can come and pray in a proper place of worship, in a proper pl- a place of tawheed, in a place of the sunnah. So in this case, if it's possible to be a little bit far away from them, that's something good. Try not to build next to them, you know. If you're a few rows away, alhamdulillah, no problem. And you become distinguished from them. And this is a place of Ahlul Sunnah and that's a place of Ahlul Bida'ah. You become distinguished from them and so forth. Any questions on this hadith? The next hadith from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu that he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said قَاتَلَ اللَّهُ الْيَهُودِ اتَّخَذُوا قُبُورَ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ مَسَاجِدًا مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ وَزَادَ مُسْلِمٌ وَالنَّصَارًا The hadith says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is at war with the, with the Yahud. Allah, which means may Allah fight the Yahud. Because they took the graves of the Anbiya as masajid. The hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. Another version in Muslim says nasara, meaning may Allah fight who? The Jews and the Christians. Because they did this with the graves of the Anbiya, they turn him into masajid. In another narration of the hadith, also in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La'natullahi ala al-Yahudi wa nasara May Allah curse the Jews and the Christians. What about the Muslims? Like, like the Karamas? May Allah curse the Jews and the Christians. For they took the graves of the Anbiya as masajid, as places of worship, as mosques. So what did they do? They chose these places, right? And they made them into places of worship. So what happens? Just like you go to a masjid to worship, just like you go to a masjid to make salah, they now go to these places to, to worship and to make salah. You understand? It's not, for anything, it's not a place of worship, aslan. Right, because they took this place as a musalla, and therefore they took it as a masjid without a doubt. Whether they built over it or not, this hadith doesn't speak about building over. It just says that they took those places as masajid. They treated it as masajid. They treated it as places of worship. It doesn't speak about building over, it just speaks about taking that place as a masjid. Right? Um, but by building a masjid or by building a karamat over the, over the grave, you have taken that place now as a masjid. You are making it similar to the, to the masajid, which is something similar to the Jews and the Christians. You are now similar to the, to the Jews and the Christians. You understand? So just by building over, this is an imitation of the Jews and the Christians. And this is an imitation of, or rather this is a type of taking this is one way to take the place as, as a place of worship is by building a structure over it, by building a masjid 
over it. Walahuma. The next hadith says, and also in Bukhari and Muslim, from the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. كانوا إذا مات فيهم الرجل الصالح بنوا على قبره مسجدا وفيه أولئك أولئك شرار الخلق. The hadith of Aisha and Um Salama رضي الله عنهما mentions that they went to Ethiopia and they came back and they informed the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم about a church that they saw and in this church they were pictures they were pictures of righteous people right and the rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam then said to them that those people when idha mata rajul salih when a righteous person died amongst them banaw ala qabrihi masjida they would build over his qabr a masjid when a righteous person died what did they do they build over his qabr a masjid which is in, in our terms what is it called a kramat this is what the this is what the jews and the christians used to do what's the question Akonia. this is what the jews and the christians used to do right when a man died a righteous person that they claimed was righteous whether he was righteous or not allahu a'lam even if he was righteous, when he died, they would build over his masjid, over his qabr a masjid. And inside this masjid is where they will see these pictures. If you go today to the Sufi shrines, you see the exact same thing. You see pictures inside of people, of that person, of this saint and of that saint. Exactly the same thing. The hadith then also says, They will be the worst of creation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of Qiyamah. Bukhari and Muslim, Shirarul Khalq, they are the worst of creation. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said these words. So whoever does this, builds a kramat, builds a shrine, builds it over the righteous body, he is just like the Jews and the Christians. And he will be treated as the worst on the day of Qiyamah, the worst of creation. As for those who visit the karamats, they are not the same as those who built it. But if they believe it's something good and permissible, then they might be the same as them. Allah alam. But to visit these places is not permissible. They are places of haram. They are places of bid'ah and many a times shirk. So to visit these places we say is not permissible. I would say it's not permissible to attend because you know what's happening there. You know what people do there. There's no need for you to be there. I, I'll be honest, sometimes I see one, I go in and I see, I just like to see what's happening. I just like to see what people are doing. You know, you get first-hand experience just to see. But then I walk away. I don't do anything there, I don't make dua there, nothing. Because you know what people do there. I walk around, have a look, and I walk away. But I know what's happening there is not permissible. No doubt. I mean, no doubt. No, it's sad. It's sad. No, without a doubt, it's sad to, to see. You know, I go, I have a look, and it's sad to see. No, without a doubt, it's sad to see the state that people are in. You know, the level of 
of misguidance that the people have reached. Um, it's without a doubt, it's sad to see. So, as, I mean, a proof that they've taken these places as masajid, they have dhikrs there. They will drive past 50 masajid to have a dhikr there. They drive past how many masajid to have a dhikr at a grave, at a kramat. What does that tell you? They've taken it as a place of worship. There's no difference with them and the Jews and the Christians. We're not saying they're kuffar, right? But they are doing the same what the Jews and Christians did. And when they build over the structure, they are now the worst of creation, just like the Prophet wasallam said. So some of the benefits of this hadith. Firstly, the Sheikh says, Anna shirk azim jiddan. That shirk is something extremely severe. Shirk is something extremely severe. So the asal of a masjid, he says, is supposed to be that it is built for the sake of Allah. So people can pray in there for the sake of Allah. But when it's built on a grave, what's the fear, that's, what's, what's the fear that we have? The fear is that now that person is going to be worshipped. The fear is now shirk comes in. And that person will now be worshipped. And for this simple reason, building on graves is haram. For this simple reason, because it leads towards shirk. Without a doubt, it leads towards shirk. There's no, nobody can argue with this. To build a structure over a grave leads towards shirk. Because when people see the structure, what do they think? Ah, it's, it's, a, it's a blessed place, it's, you know, automatically this is what people take in, this is, what they, this is their response to the building, the structure, because it looks like a holy place. So they go in, and then you come in and you see all types of colors and all types of lights and all types of designs and rakams and this is written on the wall and this is written, this books and Qur'ans are laying there and tasbih, beads is laying and people are, you know, intimidated and they feel like they're in a holy place. And they say, this is a place of peace. It's a place of tranquility. It's this, it's that. And they sit down to worship. They sit down for worship. And they start to make dhikr. And they start to read Quran. And they start to make salah. And we've already established previously in the book, salah in a place where there's a qabr is haram. It's not accepted. So they make salah. You understand? In the end, what happens? That person, that qabr is there. He's laying there. He is the one that gets called upon. He is the one that dua is addressed to him. People put their heads on the grave. They make sajda to the grave. And so many things happen. So many things happen. Um, also from the benefits of the hadith is we see how the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been set to protect tawheed and to protect people completely from falling into any aspect of shirk so much so that anything that leads to shirk is also forbidden um, another benefit of the hadith is that it is completely haram to build anything on a grave especially a masjid to build a masjid or a structure that resembles a masjid 
on over a grave is completely haram. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he described those who build upon, who build masajid over graves as shirarul khalq, as the most evil of creation. Right? They are described as the most evil of creation and therefore we say to build a masjid on a grave is a major sin. Without a doubt, it's a major sin from the kaba'iri dhunub. Is salah accepted in a masjid that has a, that, or in a, in a masjid that has, that is built over a grave? Is salah accepted in a masjid that is built over a grave or, or not, right? So some of the ulama said it's accepted. They said it's accepted because what is haram is the structure. But the salah itself is accepted. So they differentiated between the two. They said the structure is haram, but the salah is accepted. Because there is no um, way that Rasulullah specifically said that, this, that to make salah in a masjid that's built over a grave is um, is not is not is basically not permissible right the other opinion is that it is not valid it's invalid to make salah in this place and that is because of what the salah can lead to that if people were to pray here this would eventually lead to something which is the worst of all sin which is shirk so therefore it becomes haram and for this reason they say it's haram and it is also not permissible. Like the hadith says, Man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fahuwa rad. Whoever does an action that's not in the accordance with our actions, and that action is rejected. So they say the salah is also therefore rejected. Ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah says, this opinion is closer to being correct. This opinion is closer to being correct. And it's just, like I said, it's generally a place you don't want to be at. It's generally a place that you would avoid. It's a place of sin. It's a place of shirk. So to avoid a place like that is always best. There's no need to go to a place like that. Why should you go to those places? You got masajid. You want to go to a maqbara? Go to a maqbara. You want to visit the, the, the dead? Go visit the dead. You reflect over death? Go and do that. But there's no need to go to a place where you know people are committing shirk. And people are committing innovations and so forth. Um, the fourth benefit the Sheikh mentions is that building over a grave in it is a is a tashabbuh bil Yahudi wa Nasara is a resemblance to the Jews and the Christians. And this is exactly what the Prophet said will happen. You will truly follow the, the ways of those who came before you. And they said to him, Do you mean the Jews and the Christians? And they said, Faman. Then who else? Yani who, am, who am I talking about? That's what the Prophet said. Meaning, definitely you're going to follow them. You are going to just be, you are going to become like them. Do what they used to do. Do what they do. Take them from their ways. Shibran bi shibrin. Hand span by hand span. The one hadith says, until you end up in the lizard's hole. You will go and you will follow them. Hand span by hand span. Down into the lizard's hole. That's what another hadith mentions. Another benefit the Sheikh mentions is it is wajib to destroy a masjid which is built on a qabr. In this case, to a, a kramat should be destroyed. Firstly, why? Why do we say this? Firstly, because this building, the structure, 
eased on the major sins. So we cannot, we're not allowed to uh, do iqrar of it. You know, tacitly approve of this building. We're not allowed to tacitly approve. It's a major sin. So we have to be against it. Number two, point number two is, the Prophet ﷺ, he instructed the Sahaba, some of them, to go out and to destroy any cover which is built over. He sent Ali anhu and others to go and to destroy any built-up grave. You understand? This is something that is supposed to be done. Again, if it's something that's going to lead to major fitna and fighting and so forth, then, you know, it's something to look at. But it's not a place of reverence. It's a place where we are completely against. We are completely against it and Allah knows best. Um, any questions on this hadith? The next hadith is from Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. He said, Ba'atha nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khaylan fajaat bi rajlin farabatuhu bisariyatin min sawari al-masjidi. Al-hadith muttafaqun alayhi. Um, he says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent out some horses for jihad. And they actually captured a man, some riders obviously, and they captured a man and they brought him to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this man, his name was Thumamah ibn Uthal. Thumamah ibn Uthal. He was from the tribe Bani Hanifa and they came from a place called Yamamah. So Uthal, Uthal. So they captured this man, they brought him to Rasulullah He was from the tribe, Bani Hanifa. Uh, so they came to the Prophet with him, and he actually went to go and make Umrah. He was on the road to make Umrah, and he was captured on this road, and he was taken to who? To Rasulullah this man was from the, the, the honorable, wealthy men of the tribe of the people of Yamama, where he was from. He was one of the honorable men, you know, the, 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 the big guys in the tribe. And so what happened was, the Prophet ﷺ tied him to a, a pillar in the masjid. He tied him to a pillar in the, the masjid. Why did he do this? So that this man can see the Muslims. He can witness the Muslims. He can watch them as they make salah, as they gather in the masjid. And secondly, because this was also a type of humiliation for him. Because he was of the, the leaders of this tribe, who were of the kuffar. Who were those who opposed the Prophet ﷺ. They hated the Prophet ﷺ and Islam. So after they captured him, they tied him up in the masjid. And this was like a humiliation for him. This was like a humiliation for him. So for these two reasons, they tied him up. So the story is that when they came to the Prophet with this man and they tied him up in the masjid, the Prophet used to pass by him and say to him, Mada indak? 
And he would say, what's up with you? What are we going to do with you? And this man would say to him, in taqtul, taqtul If you were to kill me, then you will kill someone who is deserving of being killed. But if you were to free me, you will free someone who is grateful and thankful. And if you want wealth and money, then ask and you will get whatever you want. Understand? He gave the Prophet some three things. The Prophet said, what, what are we going to do with you? He said, if you kill me, you'll kill, you'll kill someone who deserves to be killed. And if you free me, you will free someone who is very thankful and grateful. And, and if you want money or wealth, ask and you'll get whatever you want. So he gave the Prophet three options. And so the Prophet left him. The second day, he left him there for an entire day. The second day, he came back and he asked him the same thing. Mada indak? What are we going to do with you? And he said to him what I said to you yesterday. If you free me, you will free a thankful person. And he did not mention the issue of killing him. Nor did he mention the issue of wealth. All he mentioned was, if you free me, you will free someone who is thankful. He left off the other two options. And then what happened? The Prophet left him. On the third day, the Prophet came by him and said to him, Mada indak? What are we going to do with you? And he said, I, you do with me what I said to you. And so what did the Prophet say? The Prophet freed him. The Prophet said, let him go. And this was a big man. This was an honorable man. The people all knew him. And so Thumama left. He left the masjid. He went to take a ghusl. And he came back. And he said, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He took shahada. And he did this in the masjid of Masjid Nabawi where he was tied up. And so the Prophet sallallahu gave him glad tidings of goodness that will come his way. And he became Muslim. And then he took a qasam. He took an oath. Like we say, Wallahi. And he said, there was no face on the face of this earth that was more, that was more hated to me than your face. But today that is the most beloved face to me. And he said, there was no religion that was more hated to me than this religion of yours. But today that religion is the most beloved religion to me. And the Prophet became, of, of course, pleased by these words. And he then left him and told him to go make Umrah. Because initially he was on his road towards, he was on the way to Umrah. So after this happened, he said to him, go now and make your Umrah. He went for Umrah. He entered Mecca with a Talbiya that was different to the Talbiya of the Mushrikeen. The, tal- the Mushrikeen had their own Talbiya. They used to say, Labbaik Allahumma labbaik, labbaik la sharika laka, labbaik illa sharikan huwa lak. In Talbiya we say, Ya I am, oh Allah, ya I am, ya I am, you have no partner. And they would say, except the partner that you have. So they would commit shirk in the Talbiya. You understand? They had a Talbiya that committed shirk. That, that, that was full of shirk. So he came with a Talbiya of Tawheed. The proper Talbiya. He came. When the people heard him, the Quraysh heard him, and they knew him, Thumama, they said to him, have you left your religion? What happened to you? He said, no, I became a Muslim. And I'm with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi And he then said to them, Wallahi, you will get no wheat. He was a trader from Yemen, from Yamama. 
illa bi idhni nabi sallam now you get nothing from your mama except if the prophet allows it but from my side you're getting nothing and when this happened they decided they're going to kill him and then somebody said look if you kill him we're never going to get the wheat so let's be wise about this and they let him go they left him he made his umrah and he went back and these people then sent a messenger to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi and said to him you know you a person you are muhammad sallallahu alaihi you you are someone who does what you are someone who likes to bring people together you like to link up families you like to keep family ties and you like to give to those who don't have and they started to praise the Prophet and mention all these traits of his which is which was true of him and then they said to him and he's thinking is to mama now refuses to give us you know and we are families with to mama because he has become muslim unless you give him permission and so rasulullah said to mama i give you permission to continue giving them wheat grains of wheat why because they are from Makkah. So we will honor Makkah, continue sending the wheat to Makkah, and to connect family ties. There's still some family within them, and so forth. Even though they are mushrikeen. So this is the story of Thumama ibn Uthal. Thumama ibn Uthal, the man that was tied up in the masjid. Some of the benefits of the story ibn Uthaymin mentions is that sometimes freeing someone, giving someone that freedom is better than killing them or taking revenge on them like in the story over here and it all depends on the situation obviously sometimes to free the person the person will come back and kill you the Prophet obviously knew what he was doing so this doesn't happen every day but sometimes it is better depending on the situation the leader needs to be someone who's wise who can assess the situation and for him to free that person there may be khair in that that person may come back and benefit them later on like in the case of Thumama um, in Islam, if you have a, a captive like this, then there are four options. Either you can kill him, he's a captive of war, he's an enemy. Either you kill him, or you free him, or you ransom him for other captives of other Muslim captives, or you ransom him for some money or some other benefits, and so forth. Um, as for the benefits of the hadith, then we say it's permissible to tie up a captive um, in the masjid or in the souk, or in the house, or any or other than that. This is permissible. Secondly, it's permissible for a kafir to enter the masjid. It's permissible for a kafir to enter the masjid. Because this is what happened with Tumama. They were entered into the masjid. On condition that the kafir does not enter the masjid for reasons that are not befitting. And he doesn't come there for some something silly, or to come take pics, or as a tourist, or no. He has to come for a, a, a proper reason, you know. He's coming to look at the masjid, is one thing. Watch the Muslims, is one thing. To learn about Islam, even better. The rule is, he's allowed to enter, unless he's coming there for something that's inappropriate. For something that is inappropriate. Um, another benefit of this hadith is that Ibn Uthayim mentions in the Masjid al-Nabawi there was pillars. There were pillars, right? And there still is pillars. But it's actually better not to have pillars. Why is this? Because pillars break up the, the sufuf. It, it, it interrupts the soft. The soft is supposed to flow from end to end. You understand? With the pillar, 
the soft is now broken. It interrupts the sufuf. You understand? And this is something that's actually not be, not preferred. It's not preferred. If there must be pillars, and as we know, buildings generally need pillars, then that's one thing. If it can be avoided, where it can be avoided, then that's something good. Where there needs to be a pillar, there needs to be a pillar. If we can't have build something that's going to fall in. But otherwise, the, le- the less pillars there are, the better. Because they break the sufuf. They interrupt the sufuf. So the issue of the sufuf is, yani should you pray in those sufuf where there are pillars? So again, if you look at Masjid al-Nabawi, long sufuf with pillars in between. Right? It's better to not, not to stand in those sufuf. It's better to pray in the sufuf where there are no pillars, which is uninterrupted. So people should not actually be standing there. They should be standing in the place where there are no pillars. Unless it's extremely full, then they have to stand there. If it's not that full, people should actually come out of those spots and fill up the normal rows which are not interrupted by pillars. Understand? And the same can be said in the masajid here today. If there's a pillar in the middle, if you need to use that, that row, do you use it? If you don't need to, split the sufuf. You yani have a soft in front of the pillar, one behind the pillar. But don't have in the row where the pillars are, unless the masjid is extremely full and Allah knows best. The time. طيب, the next hadith وعنه أن عمر رضي الله عنه مر بحسان ينشد في المسجد فلاحظ إليه فقال كنت أنشد فيه وفيه من هو خير منك متفق عليه عمر بن الخطاب passed by حسان who is حسان حسان بن ثابت رضي الله عنه he was the poet of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم so Umar passed by him and he was reciting a poem in the masjid and so Umar looked at him, you know, and he looked at him in a way that you could see he was unimpressed. And he was a bit disappointed. Because why? He shouldn't be doing this in the, in the masjid. This was the opinion of Umar. And so Hassan said to him, I used to recite this poetry in this masjid. And in this masjid there was someone better than you. And he put Umar on his place. It was someone better than you. Referring to Rasulullah sallallahu yani I used to recite this poetry in the masjid and Rasulullah sallallahu was present. Don't look at me now like that. You know, this is basically what he was saying to Umar. Um, so what does this hadith prove? That to sing poetry in the masjid is permissible. Is permissible. Right? Because the Prophet allowed Hassan ibn Thabit to do this. Tayyib. But, singing poetry in the masjid, there are conditions. Like any act of worship, these conditions. Number one, the topic of discussion or the topic being recited must be a topic that is beneficial. If you have to be saying something, what is poetry? Yani you come with some lines, some, you know, poet, poetry is something that basically rhymes, you know. Usually it rhymes, it's got some benefit in it. And many ulama they wrote on poetry, they wrote, they write books in poetry. They write about fiqh in poetic form. They write about aqidah in poetic form. They write about seerah in poetic form. In everything they, they are ulama who write in like poetic form. So to, to, to recite certain poets, poems is good. Especially when there is beneficial knowledge within it. But if you're reciting something with no benefit in the masjid, 
then that becomes lahu, becomes vain speech. It becomes time wasting. And this is now not permissible because this is a masjid. That's point number one. Secondly, you should not be harming others by your poetry. So if somebody's making salah, you can't come and recite the poem because he's making while he's making salah and you disturb him. You are now harming him. He has more right to the masjid than you. He's in salah. You do not disturb him. Even the one reciting the Quran should not be disturbing the one in salah. Tayyib. Thirdly, Ibn Uthaymin says, this poet should not, you know, get people to gather around him. He should not instruct people, come and sit and listen. Come, let me sing something. Come, let me say something. Come. You understand? He should not gather the people around himself. Because by doing this, what's going to happen becomes a, a commotion, becomes a distraction. And this is not what the masjid is for. So if you look at this incident, Hassan is reciting some poetry. Whoever is listening is listening. Umar sees it. He doesn't go and sit. Others don't come and, you know. So we're not talking about a nasheed band that comes into town. Or a group of nasheed artists that sit in front and everybody gathers to attend a nasheed concert. This is something completely different. There's a difference between saying some poetic words with some good meaning and a boy band who's trying to use this hadith to say that this is the proof that nasheed is permissible. The nasheed that you see today is not what Hassan ibn Thabit did. Nowadays you got people walking around as like boy bands, you know, dressed up in certain suits and they one's hitting a drum and the other one's got this and the one, you know, and they parade themselves just like a boy band, you know. But their own name, their own title, and their own signature moves, and this song, and that song, is, and they sell records, and this is not Hassan ibn Thabit. This is not what the hadith is talking about. You understand? If you look at their old demeanor, it's got nothing to do with Islam. It's got nothing to do with the Sunnah of the If you look at the, the stuff that they sing about, the way they act, it's got nothing to do with the Sunnah of the Prophet It's completely different. Singing nasheeds and reciting a poem. Is very different. Singing a nasheed into a song, beating drums and playing music is very different to Hassan ibn Thabit sitting there saying some beautiful words. وَأَجْمَلُ مَا تَرَقَتُ عَيْنِي How does the saying go? I forgot the, the exact words. He basically says that the most beautiful thing that our eyes has fallen upon is Rasulullah sallallahu and the, the best thing that a mother has given birth to is the Prophet You know, this was the type of poetry he used to come with. He recites this in praise of the Prophet Nothing, no hulu, no going beyond the bounds, no excessive reverence. You understand? No music, no duff, no drums, no this, no that. Just praising the Prophet Plain, pure, simple. Nobody has a problem with this. The problem comes in when... You start to sing and it becomes like a band, it becomes like this and becomes... Then it's a problem. And so forth. And Allah knows best. Um, طيب, uh, let's stop here inshallah. What's the time? Yeah, let's stop here inshallah and maybe next week we can complete the chapter. Bidnilai ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu ala ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.